Welcome to This Is What Blind Looks Like podcast. This is season one, episode two. Today's topic will be on Braille, but before we get into that, Kimberly, how was your week like? It was good. It's been really good. It's been kind of chilly here in Wisconsin. We got our first snow and we um, just been kind of staying in and doing some studying and homework and things like that. But other than that, I've just... I also wanted to correct something I said wrong in the last podcast that I didn't even realize that I said wrong until listening to it back and I kind of got called out for it. So I said I was born and raised in Fond du Lac, although Fond du Lac is a nice place to live. I was born and raised in Appleton, Wisconsin and in the Fox Valley, and I grew up on the west side. Shout out to all my peeps from there. and But now I moved to Fond du Lac and I'm living here and it's a nice place to live. You know, I've never been to Fond du Lac, so sometime I'm going to have to go and see what it's like. Or No, actually, hold on. Yes, I have been to Fond du Lac once, but uh, I never really had the chance to explore the city, so... Well, it's really nice the location I'm at because although the blocks are like bigger than the normal size city blocks around here is because there's a lot of businesses and apartment buildings in an average block from the location I live in here in Fond du Lac is probably about two or three blocks um, of a standard city block. But I do live close to the mall and a lot of restaurants and stores and there's so many things in walking distance and even the city itself it's small enough to walk to most places but there is a highway um, which is Johnson Street that's really busy but I live close to that and a lot of the businesses are along that highway so it's it's really nice even though I'm not on that road I'm very close to it and I can just say oh go off of Johnson Street here or there and people know where I'm talking about because it's so centrally located oh wow nice I guess that's a good thing about a small town is everything is there and you don't have to really worry about anything yeah, totally. The location definitely matters when um, choosing where to live. And so the location is really nice. That's awesome. Okay, so as for me, my week has, uh, it's been, it's been good, kind of uh, relaxing. So not really like nothing huge. But this coming week, I do have something on this weekend, actually. On Saturday, I'm going to be going to a gala a uh, dinner for my parents cleaning business my parents they own a cleaning business and they clean office buildings and I also help them out with that so that's gonna be fun and I will be going to get my nails done and my eyebrows done and a haircut just to look nice and presentable so that'll be fun Good. Yeah, that sounds like fun. I can't believe that Thanksgiving is coming up so quickly, too. Oh, I know. I know. I love the holidays. Good food, good people. And speaking of which, good food and everything. Who doesn't love good food? What girl does not love good food? I I know that I'm not going to lie when I say that I, I really 
I really do love the holidays because of the food. Not only just food, but family, friends, togetherness, but food brings people together. Yeah, I have to admit I'm the same way. And definitely the kids, they bring out the fun. And it's so nice to watch them enjoy the holidays through their eyes. And I just love getting people like the perfect gift. A lot of people talk about like, how did you know I didn't even ask for that? Uh, And I and I tell them, well, it's because I thought about what you liked and I saw it advertised. I was like, that would be perfect for so-and-so. And then they're like, oh, you never asked me for a gift. I'm always like, well, I already got that covered. <laughs> right, exactly. I'm the same way when it comes to gifting, too. Is I like to find the perfect gift for somebody or knowing what that person likes also just kind of gives me an idea like, okay, I'm going to... I'm going to do this for a gift or something. And then also the kids too, like really, really bring out the fun. And I, I really enjoy watching my cousin's kids open their presents and stuff like that. That to me really warms my heart because I just love seeing them smile and seeing them just be really, really happy. But anyway, as we were talking about what I wanted to say, like the holidays coming up and everything and, you know, the good food and everything, I'm actually this week, I'm going to I'm going to go back to the gym and work out because I need to my body, my body needs to and it's not to me working out. It's not that I'm not happy because I am I love myself but I want to better myself and I want to be healthy it's not about impressing anybody the thing about doing that is don't if you want to get fit don't do it to impress anybody because it's not worth it but anyway this isn't what this podcast is about let's get on with the topic of braille shall we sure so braille 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 what can I say about braille braille is beautiful Let's just say that. Braille is beautiful. Braille is very much needed. Braille is still relevant, which is something that people think that it isn't, but it is. And we're going to tell you why and we're going to we're going to talk about how Braille came to be. Who invented Braille? Braille was invented by Louis Braille. Louis Braille was born in France. And when Louis Braille was a little boy, when he was three years old, he injured one of his eyes with a sharp tool that used to make holes in leather. I think it's an... An ale? An ale? I want to say or an, uh, or an ale. Owl. I... An ale? No, an all, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, an all. There we go. Because, yeah, so... Anyway, so both of his eyes eventually became infected, and by the time... He was five years old. He was completely blind. And so at that time, there was only very few options for for blind people. And just like any parent, his parents wanted him to be educated. So he attended school in the village and he learned by listening. And he was a very attentive student. And when he was 10 years old, he received a scholarship to attend the National Institute for Blind Youth in Paris. He went there, and that was like the first school of its kind to educate blind students. And so there, at that school, he learned academic skills and vocational skills. And he he met this guy named Charles Barbier, who was serving in the French army, and he invented a code. 
and that used a combination of 12 raised dots to represent different sounds. That system was called sonography. So those that couldn't see, they would decode the dots by touching them. And its purpose was for soldiers to communicate silently at night. But it didn't succeed as a tool in the military, and so he thought that that system might be useful for blind individuals. So Louis Braille was one of many people who found the system promising and he discovered its shortcomings because it was difficult and it was difficult to learn and it was based on sounds rather than letters so he had to so Louis Braille spent 3 years from the age of 12 to 15 to develop a much simpler system and his system was so simple that it was broken down to only 6 dots three dots lined up in the, in the two columns so those six dots made a cell they make a cell a braille cell and so he assigned the different combinations of dots to different letters and punctuation marks with a total of 64 symbols he went on to become an apprentice teacher at at the um at the school that he went to when he was 19 and he was also a teacher there when he was 24 and he was also a teacher when he was 24, and in 1837, the school published its first book in Braille. That is a very short, that is a very uh, short history about Louis Braille. But yeah, that's a, that's the, that's who Louis Braille was, and, and that's how Braille came about. He invented Braille, and Braille is what it is today because of him. If it weren't for Louis Braille, we wouldn't have the Braille code. And there's different Braille codes. There's Braille music, and there's the Nemeth code for math. And with Braille music, Louis Braille developed this code, but he didn't want it. He didn't want to just develop it for literacy. But he also taught music, and he played the piano, and he created a way to read and write music. So I got this little article from the American Foundation of the Blind where it talks about Braille music, but it's for kids. Um, and that website is called The Braille Bug. And I was trying to research something about Braille music because I'm not a Braille reader yet. And this is still kind of new for me to talk about this. Just like sighted people learn how to read and write music, so can blind people. So, literary braille and braille music look a lot alike. Many of the symbols that you use to write the braille letters are also used to write braille music notes and symbols. However, the meanings for braille music are different. So, an example would be in the, in the literary braille code, the dots 1 for 5, they represent the letter D. In braille music, those dots represent the musical note C. So Louis Braille didn't use letter names for notes like people do today. Instead, he used the names of musical tones beginning with do. Like it's pronounced like do a female deer. So like if you've seen the movie The Sound of Music, do a deer a female deer, that's how musical notes were pronounced back then. So because of that, he used the braille letter D to represent the first musical tone and then he developed the rest of the braille music code from there. So that's just a little example. I'm not gonna go, I'm not going to talk about it 
very in-depth because I'm not a braille reader. I, I've never read or studied braille music. So if you want to know more about that, I will link that article in the show notes in the description below. And you could also Google it if you're really interested. I did a little bit of reading and I'm going to explain a little bit about what it is. Again, since I'm not a braille reader, I can't really explain too much. So the Nemeth code for math is used for encoding mathematical and scientific notation linearly using the standard six dot braille cells for tactile reading. And the code was developed by Abraham Nemeth. That's all I can tell you. I can't really explain so much. So Kimberly, do you want to take over? Yeah, sure. I will do that. So Angie mentioned a little bit about the music and the Nemeth Braille, but I'm going to tell you more about what we call literary Braille, which is basically the Braille we use to read or write everyday books and and notes and things like that. There are two, two different types of Braille in literary code. There's uncontracted and contracted. Uncontracted is also called grade one. And that is basically the alphabet and grammar signs like comma and period and things like that. But contracted Braille is basically shorthand writing, like abbreviations. For instance, B by itself is but, C by itself is can, D by itself is do, and so on and so forth. There's a word for almost every letter if you have it by itself. And this is to save room because Braille takes up much more room on paper than print does. And contracted Braille is also called grade two Braille. But there's also a grade three Braille, but this is very uncommon. Only a few amount of Braille people know it. It's not even taught that much anymore. But people, blind people used grade three for note taking. So it's a lot more symbols and things like that. But uncontracted Braille has a lot of other symbols like and and the and endings of words like T-I-O-N is a braille sign, things like that. So now that Kimberly has talked a little bit about uncontracted and contracted braille, I'm going to explain a little bit about how different languages have different accents. An example that I can give is, so in Spanish braille, there are no contractions. And as Kimberly mentioned before, contractions are the short way to write words and groups of letters. Each letter is written in Braille just like it's written in print. And there is Braille characters for each letter that is accented in Spanish. So, and it's the same for each, excuse me, it's the same for other languages. There's different characters for different symbols. Let's talk about the advantages of reading Braille. Kimberly, do you want to join me on this? Yeah, sure. I'd like to take this time to just share about my braille experience and why I decided to learn braille. So growing up, I mentioned in the previous episode, I had better vision growing up in throughout school, but then as an adult, my vision got worse and I needed to learn braille. And for me, all my life, reading was like a huge part of me. It was 
a hobby asked my friends and teachers I was also always loving to read I mean even in high school when we only had a five minute passing time I try to book across the school as quickly as I can could and get to class so I'd have that extra couple minutes to read and so when I lost my vision like audiobooks just weren't cutting it and after a while I was like, you know, I really wish I could read again. I miss it so much. It it made me sad to think about how I couldn't. And I even had a very good friend read to me the sixth Harry Potter book because I was in the middle of reading that when I lost my sight. So my friend Lori would come and visit me and she'd just sit there and read the book to me while we were hanging out so I could finish the book and it was just something I missed but I realized when hearing people at different blindness conventions talk about the braille literacy and how important it was for them to read again it got me emotional think about it thinking about it and their words were I I am illiterate and I thought, you know, so am I. I am illiterate and I want to read again. And so that got me on to adjustment to blindness training and learning Braille. And on certain days, if we did all our homework on Fridays and most of the classes, we were able to choose what we wanted to do during our Braille class or communications class. And nine chances out of 10, I always wanted to read my Braille book after I learned Braille. And my teacher was really shocked and kind of amused. And he's like, you know, most people on the days that they choose to something to do, they want to go on Facebook or check their email. He's like, I find it just lovely that you want to continue to read your book. Wow, that's Um, awesome. Yeah. I forgot where we were at, Angie. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's fine. So for me, I would have loved to have learned Braille when I was a kid. I wasn't taught Braille because since I was reading large print and they assumed, oh, well, she's doing fine right now. So we don't need to teach her braille because she's doing fine well they never thought let's fast forward when she's in high school and she's getting all these lengthy readings or when she gets to college and she has to read all these chapters and everything well I struggled a lot in high school because because of that eye strain eye fatigue headaches as we discussed in the first episode like my neck would hurt because I'd be craning to just read what was on the paper and yeah I can I can still I can still read large print but I can't read it for long periods of time so it would have been nice for me to learn another medium because audio is great and it's nice for leisure but what if you're trying to read something for an assignment there was times where I could only concentrate so much where I would just fall asleep. So, yeah, as an adult, I'm going to learn Braille. And it's never too late. And I can't wait to start reading for fun again and everything. 
And yeah, I, I do I do like to read leisurely, but I listen to books because large prints, like I said, like when you're reading for long periods of time, your eyes just fatigue and it's no fun to deal with. Should we go on to um, the ADA and like the Braille signs and stuff? Oh my god, yeah, let's 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 go on to the ADA. So you might ask yourself, what is the ADA? Well, the ADA stands for the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that is a civil rights law that prohibits discrimination based on disability. Though the accessibility guidelines set standards for Braille signs. It doesn't stipulate where a building and braille signs are required. So the ADA standards for accessible design does require that signs designating permanent rooms and spaces must have raised characters in braille. So the general rules for having signage that's covered by the law are these. So all signs, except for the reflective parking signs or like other traffic signs that you might see, They must have non-glare backgrounds and characters because glare and reflection, they're a major problem for people with vision issues and also for the seniors because, you know, when you're a senior, you start having eye issues and stuff like that. So the signs that contain visual characters, they have to have a high dark to light or vice versa contrast between characters and their background. So, the important issue isn't the color, but it's the lightness and darkness. So, an example, a sign with a very light with very light gray letters on a charcoal gray background would be acceptable. But a sign with red letters on a black background would not. Because Yeah, most of them I see are like a green or dark blue background or the one outside of the door in my apartment building is white and then the letters are like black but the ones on the green or blue background the letters are white and I never realized that so that's that's interesting yeah now I that I think about it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and also yeah all signs have to have easy to read typefaces and there's different rules for signs that identify the rooms and the spaces versus the signs that direct and inform And this is because people who are quote-unquote functionally blind are able to locate doors and so they can locate signs that are adjacent to the doors that identify them. But they don't have a consistent way to find directional and information signs that could be located anywhere along corridors. So to explain that a little bit, directional and informational signs, they can use upper and lowercase letters. So they would be able to be read visibly and like simple typefaces that aren't like decorative are good or should I say they're recommended so that's all I'm gonna say for that oh and then another thing the ADA signs that identify the rooms and spaces they have to be located adjacent to the door they identify so that they can be located so so they could be located by people who are blind and for the most part One sign is used by both tactile and visual readers. So there has to be that compromise to assist tactile readers. But it is also possible to have two separate signs with the same information. So the braille has to has to accompany the characters and they 
and it must be contracted brill because as we said um, with contracted brill the words are shortened and also because the signs are installed at a 48 inches minimum from the baseline of the lowest raised character and 60 inches maximum from the baseline of the highest raised character. So an example would be like pictograms that are used to identify the space, for example, like restroom signs with gender pictograms. Like those have to, like they have to be, excuse me, they have to be in a six inch high clear field accompanied by a tactile character and braille label below the field. If you want to know more about the ADA, you can definitely find it on ada.gov and I will definitely link that down in the show notes below if you want to read more about the ADA because the ADA doesn't just cover blind people, it covers all disabilities and there's a lot that goes into the ADA, but we're not going to cover that just because our main topic is Braille, but we do want to talk about ATMs and Braille. Kimberly, do you want to say anything about that? Sure. One one more thing I wanted to include on the Braille signs is that they have to be, they should be on the latch side of the door. And sometimes there is the issue of them being on the door, which is pretty dangerous if the door is swinging outward and you're trying to read that it's the bathroom sign, now someone comes out of the bathroom, or we have the problem where they are on the door, and the door just happens to be a door to a classroom or a meeting area. Let's say that there is a lecture given in the classroom at the time. The Braille person, when looking for the room they're looking for, would have to stand inside the classroom to read the sign, be it quite a distraction for those inside. So it's best if the sign is outside the door and there have been some places that have needed to eliminate that issue. But I will tell you about ATMs. They have Braille. And a lot of people, we we as blind folks get this all the time where people it, it's it's like one of the most common questions pretty much okay let's see why is there braille on a drive through atm well i'm here to answer that question there is braille on a drive through atm for a few reasons the first one is say you're a avid walker or jogger or you're you, uh the 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 You just want to go to the ATM and it's outside. A blind person could walk up to it and use it. You don't necessarily have to be in a car. And there is a headphone jack on the ones that talk where we can hear the talking and and access our bank information privately. Also, let's say there is a blind person in a car and they don't want the person in the driver's seat to know their PIN number or have access to any of their information, the blind passenger can be sitting behind the driver and just roll the window down and use the ATM right from the back seat, just like the driver can from the front. Yep, that's really good information. So thank you so much for explaining that because it's good for people to know. See, so 
it is useful to have braille on ATMs. <laughs> so we all like to eat, don't we? Oh yeah. We all like yeah. to just go to a restaurant, have a nice a nice meal, whether it's with friends or family. Well, and what's annoying is when we need those friends and family to read the menu to us because there's no Braille menus. But actually, there are Braille menus at some places. And these places, work gets around, let me tell you. When I encounter a restaurant with a Braille menu, you can bet that I'll be posting a status about it. And, oh, my gosh, this place has a Braille menu. Come here and... We're actually getting them more service, but a lot of places that have Braille menus that I've found are the chain places like Applebee's, Red Robin, one of my very favorites, Olive Garden. Oh, I love Olive Garden. Oh, I know. And uh, just recently, I was at a Cracker Barrel that had them. But what was interesting at this Cracker Barrel restaurant is that, mind you, it was outside of Milwaukee, and I had never been to a Cracker Barrel before. And me and my family and another friend, we decided to stop there on, on the way to Milwaukee one day. And we walked in, and the waitress could very well see that I was a blind person. I have my cane with me like I always do. And... When I got to the table, she asked us what we wanted to drink and, and left. And it wasn't until my sighted companions mentioned, oh, by the way, they have Braille menus. I was like, really? How do you know? And of all things for them to have, the sighted person points out, oh, it says it on that sign over there. Wow. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. First of all. Stating that you have Braille menus on a printed sign across the That's room. That's not going to do much. <laughs> no. And my, my, my response was, oh, a lot of good that does to me. Right. And we just, my, my family was just like, seriously? And why didn't the waitress tell us that that's the waitress's job? She could see that. I was blind, right. and they shouldn't assume that my blind companions would, or I, my sighted companions would happen to see that sign and mention it. Right, exactly, exactly. Or just like, I know this is kind of going off topic, but, or just like they assume, oh, um, oh, well, I'm sure, I'm sure the sighted people will let us know what she wants to eat. Like, no, I can tell you what I'd like to eat. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. When it comes to us figuring out what we want on the menu, which would you rather have someone reading you the menu or you reading it yourself and be able to choose for yourself? I mean, the sighted person might be leaving out something or they might be taking all day to read the menu to you. How, how do we know? And one thing with Braille menus is that a lot of times they're only made once. And how new this information is, is pretty, the information can be pretty outdated. Like, for instance, someone might 
have made the menu 10 years ago, but they still use it because it's the only Braille menu they have and they want to cater cater to us blind customers, which is great. I love it. But the menu will be completely outdated. The prices will be different. The specials will be different. I mean, think about it because like when you go to a restaurant, they have different specials all the time. Things are a limited time or even like they might have a separate drink menu or a separate dessert menu, which is probably good considering if I don't ask, I don't have to worry about choosing and and getting into the whole getting dessert option. <laughs> but the the menus themselves are pretty old and we have to a lot of times we'll read something off the menu and then we'll go to order and they'll be like, oh, it'll be, it won't even be a new waitress. She'll be like working there for like five years. Oh, that hasn't been on the menu for a long time. Well, it's on this menu. Like, why don't I have the most recent menu? It's because, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to worry about updating a Braille menu because for one, they can't see it. And for two, that's just not on their priority list. Right. And it, it should be. It should be because we deserve to know what the current specials are. Correct. And with that being said, that is why equal access is important. That's all I'm going to say. Just as how much. About that... No, go ahead. How about let's explain the different ways in which to write or produce Braille? Okay, yeah. We can definitely talk about that. Do you want to tell us about it? Sure. So the the different ways in which to write or produce Braille, I'll start out by talking about the slate and stylus. This is a portable way to write Braille. Most use these to write on index cards or note cards or notes. I would compare it to a pen and paper. Yep. I was just about to say that. And, but the only problem with the slate and stylus is that when writing with it, you're punching the holes out away from you. Therefore, you need to write backwards. And I explain it as like a reflection. So let's say I want to write the letter B. B is dots one and two which go down two dots vertically. But if I were to write it with a slate and stylus, I would need to write it in cells four and five instead. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just what we need to do. So we constantly have to think of the letter we're writing, but we have to think of it backwards. And most don't use this because it's just a lot harder and it's kind of, let me think. I'll just end it there. Okay. And then the next thing I'd like to talk about is a braille, a brailler or braille writer. This is a like 50 pound machine that I would compare it to a typewriter in which you feed the paper into it, but instead of the keyboard keys, you have six keys that represent the six dots. 
and a space bar and a backspace and a return key. And there is a part on the machine that it punches out the dots in lots of people like using these because you don't have to sit and think of how to write things backwards. Everything's written the way the dots are normally represented. And I use this a lot to do, to write notes or to label cards or do homework that requires needing to use Braille. So that's the Braille writer. The labeler is one of my favorite things. It's basically the same thing as a print label maker, but this has like Dymo tape. And on the Dymo tape, you it punches out the Braille characters. And I use this for to label um, medications like, I don't know, aspirin or knowing the difference between cough medicine and um, nighttime medicine. Also, I use it to label my prescriptions. Like, I have a lot of eye drops I need to take for my glaucoma, so I label my prescriptions with that and just stick it on there. And lately, I've been also putting, like, the dosage amount because lots of times when calling the doctor or the pharmacy they ask you what the dosage is and then I have to be like oh I'm blind I don't know so instead of not giving them the information that they need I now put that on the label and I have cited assistance to help with this with that mostly and then the last thing is that I think this is kind of clever on my part but I always think of different ways to help organize myself or to make things easier but last year I started what with the holidays coming up I realized a few years ago that after wrapping my presents I still couldn't really tell what the gift was just by the size you know and even if it was for even if I wrote with the braille labeler the name I put the name on the gift with the Braille labeler. And then it's so funny because I'd hand the gift over and I'd say who it was for. And like my nephew or whoever was handing out the gifts at Christmas, they'd be like, this doesn't have a name on it. Oh, I see a Braille label on. Ask Aunt Kim who that's for. But not only do I put the person's name on it, but now I decided to put what the gift is. So... It's funny because I'll put, like, mom, uh, scarf, or something. But no one else can read the read the Braille. So even if they, even if I do say what the, the gift is, no one else can read it. So I love it because it's a secret little code that only I can read that helps me be organized. And at the same time, no one else can read it. So... That's what I use the Braille labeler for. That's really creative. I like that. (laughs) It's my sneaky little way of getting things done. Then we have the Braille note or the refreshable Braille display, which are two similar items in which they create Braille in an electronic format. 
where you can download books onto these devices. They're pretty portable, so a lot of people, blind people, carry them with them when they go to school or out on the job or whatever the case may be. And they have the six buttons for the six dots and the delete and the return. And that's an electronic way of taking notes and having a way of writing things down. That's a little more discreet than listening to it or dictating it while in the middle of a class or meeting. Yeah, and um, the Braille note is kind of like a little computer. Yeah, it is, because it can do all sorts of things, like create documents or even like log on to the internet. And I know a refreshable Braille display can be can be connected to a phone and that way someone can read what's on the screen of the phone without using voiceover and they can use that to respond to text messages or check their email and things like that same with connecting it to a computer and reading what's on the screen I think that's what I all I have for that let me make sure um what about the braille embosser Yeah, the Braille embosser. That is basically a Braille equivalent to a printer where we use some Braille translation software like OpenBook or Duxbury is what the different programs are called. And basically you can have documents within those programs and then have your computer connected to a braille embosser and it will print out whatever the document is or whatever you have on the screen that you want to be printed out in braille. It's a very noisy and heavy and can be on the bulky side machine. It's definitely not portable, but different job sites might have it and they work They work great if you have a blind employee that needs, like, the memo that is sent out to everyone if they need that in print and um, given to them. Yeah, and speaking of how noisy it is, because I have heard an embosser printing Braille, and it sounds, well, to me, it sounds like a monster crunching on, like, paper. (laughs) It does. It's like wow, 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 like that, and it takes a really long time, but they get the job done. So, so do you want to talk about the tips and tricks to remember Braille? Sure. So, I mentioned how there's different Braille codes, and so grade two or contraction Braille can be pretty lengthy and hard to remember all the signs because there's over 60 different contractions and there's really not an average on how long it takes someone to learn braille because there are so many things that go into learning braille for instance a completely blind child will learn it as young as three years old and 
let's face it, everything's easier when you're a kid to learn. Once you get older, things become a lot harder and our memories and all sorts of factors are called into play. But there are some tricks as to learning it. Like, for instance, when reading just the letters themselves, first let me talk about Braille doesn't have any upper or lowercase letters. They're all the same symbol when it comes to the letter individually. But in order to make it a number, you want to put a certain number sign in front of it, which is dots three, four, five, six. So basically, A through J by themselves are A through J, but if you put a number sign in front of them, they become one through zero. Also, there is a capital sign when talking about capital and lowercase. In order to make a capital A or B or so on or so forth, you want to put a capital sign in front of it, and then that's how you know that it's capital. What's the dot for the capital sign? The dot for the capital sign is dot six. Good to know. So, some letters in Braille are opposite. Like, for instance, D and F are opposite. D is dots one, four, five, and F is dots one, two, four. H and J are opposite. W and R are opposite. And E and I. Now, when it comes to remembering and having tricks, I explained about the number sign, putting that in front of the letter. So a good way to remember the letter 6 and the letter F, which are essentially the same, a trick is thinking six flags. So six and then flags starts with F. So you'll always remember that the sixth letter is an F. Also, E and I are opposite. So a good way to remember that is E to the earth, I to the sky. Because E is dots two, five, and I is dots, no. E is dots one and five, and I is dots two and four. And so E is pointed downwards, and I is pointed upwards. So that's where that trick comes in. Some letters look like they look in print, like F, J, L, P, U, O, and V. Look similar, not exactly the same, but look similar in print than they are in Braille. The last trick I will tell you about is the T, which is dots two, three, four, five. Looks similar to one of those Tetris pieces that is like diagonal in a way. I love Tetris. <laughs> Me too. Such a fun game to play. I was very obsessed with Tetris at one point. Me too. Uh, it was definitely like the old school uh, Nintendo. Oh, and then I wanted to mention that there are some silly phrases in remembering other contractions, such as if you put dots four, five, six in front of the letters, the sign there, or the letters S, W, H, M, and C, they form the words, their spirit world had 
many cannots. And that's a good way of remembering it. A silly little sentence, their spirit world had many cannots. And then if you put a dot four five in front of the word, the letter U, W, the WH sign, and the TH sign, you get the silly sentence that will form into, upon my word, Whose trousers are these? Which makes it upon word who's in these. So that's a silly sentence to remember those. That is funny. I wanted <laughs> I wanted to laugh as I read it. So <laughs> I just thought it was funny. So this just occurred to me. We didn't we didn't mention UEB, and I think that needs to be mentioned. Sure. Well, recently the Braille code has changed to Unified English Braille. And actually, this was the homework I referred to in the beginning of the episode when talking about doing Braille homework. And there are a few rules that changed the Braille code that now contracted braille has turned into this so basically if you were to want to keep up with reading things you need to learn this and i love it because a friend of mine compared it to if the sighted world changed print into emojis you'd have to pretty much learn a whole new method of reading (laughs) and those emojis could represent a whole bunch of stuff but Basically, Braille transcription has changed a few rules. For some people, it doesn't make that big of a difference. But when reading things like greeting cards or cards and games that require words that you need to read, I learned that I couldn't read some of the signs. I wasn't sure what exactly it was saying. And so basically, Unified English Braille has taken a lot of some of the contractions out like for instance there's no contraction for the ending a l l y it used to be dot six y but now they have completely taken out that contraction and now when writing really instead of r e dot six y it's the r e a sign l l y or for instance rally it would all have to be spelled out instead of r.6y the same with the double d sign which used to be a dropped d dots two five six they've taken that out because that could be confused with a period in the middle of a email address because that is the same sign as a period only the period usually is at the end of a word But now that we're getting into so many things like Twitter and email addresses and things like that, computer Braille has made us need to reorganize the Braille code. Well, yeah, because everyone's using, like, hashtags and stuff like that. So I can see why. That makes sense. Yeah, so um, it's a really easy class to take. There's a place, there's a, a good place to learn braille on your own is through Hadley um, School for the Blind, but now I think it's called Hadley Institute. And it's basically a service where you can take classes, all sorts of classes through the mail or online, things like that. And it's good for those who 
want to keep learning things and just don't know how to go about it and are having a hard time in college or things like that, being blind and not knowing the resources and things in which that they can access information and learn new things. So I'm actually taking the transitioning to new UEB course at the moment, and there's only six lessons, and they have a policy with most of their classes where you only need to submit one lesson a month minimum. And so it's really easy to do it with that kind of correspondence, and it's self-paced, and so pretty much anyone can handle one assignment a month, I'd say. So that's that's what's nice about Hadley, and that's how I'm learning that. And then you get graded like with anything else, and then you hear from the instructor, and they grade you, and then if you get a, enough points, I want to say 80 points, you're able to move on to the next lesson. That's so. so nice about online learning and online schools. You could just do it from the comfort of your own home. Yeah, but the one thing is that it's self-paced, and some friends say, if it's self-paced, I don't think I'll be able to handle that because I'll I'll never get myself to do it then, you know? Right. With that being said, do you want to tell our listeners about your dream career? Sure, I will. Basically, my dream career is called Braille Transcription, and I told you a little bit about how much Braille means to me, means the world to me. And I want to bring that world to other people in the classroom, not necessarily a TBVI, which stands for Teacher for the Blind and Visually Impaired, but I want to be the person that produces the Braille that the TBVI will need to give the students or the teachers in general. See, on average, it takes a blind student nine months to get a textbook produced in braille therefore they fall behind in class and they only can learn audibly by listening to the teacher and the teacher doesn't always say word for word what they're writing on the board and the student can't follow along in class when reading out loud or read for themselves in general so that's where a braille transcriptionist comes in where we would be the person who would produce those textbooks in Braille so they have in class, and we would try to produce them on time so they are on task with their sighted peers and able to learn just as quickly and at the same rate and have their information available to them for them to read and not just relying on auditory learning. And this is a big deal for a lot of Braille users, which a lot of them are visual learners, but meaning visual as in reading Braille and able to feel it under their fingertips. And plus, you can only get so much out of hearing things audibly. Lots of times people, lots of times blind people talk about how if they need to know how a word is spelled, how are they going to know how a word is spelled just by listening to someone talking? And to give you an idea of how much Braille takes up on a page, it takes, for instance, one print textbook 
would probably take up to 15 volumes of a Braille book. And when I say volumes, I mean like volumes way back when we were kids, how you had encyclopedias and there was a book for every letter. You know, this is the same with Braille books. Lots of times there will be like five volumes to one print book, depending on how big the print book is. So not only does the student get this textbook, but then they have 15 different copies of it to sift through and keep up with, while whereas the student reading print only has that one textbook. And now I think sighted people will realize, oh, maybe I shouldn't have complained so much lugging all those textbooks around in school. So not only does do the textbooks have lots of volumes to them, but most of the time there's only one copy of them because of this reason. So usually the textbooks are just um, are just kept in the classroom and the student doesn't have to lug them all around. But that doesn't mean that the volume that is necessary for their homework they don't have to carry and let's just say braille volumes are not small so this is why it's nice that audio services such as bookshare bard audible or learning ally have a brf option or a brf file and that stands for braille reading format yes yeah it definitely is because this is how I read my books now, now that I have a refreshable Braille display and a Braille note, people who don't have the means to gain access to that type of equipment that we mentioned earlier because of the astronomical price they are. If you were to go about getting a Braille book and having it sent to you through the mail, which is what I had to do in the beginning when learning Braille, it takes a couple weeks to get there. And so that leaves that a big gap in which you're waiting for this book. And also when learning Braille, it's good to keep up with the Braille or you're going to forget it and have a book that you can read leisurely on your own time to reinforce those Braille skills. I have a friend who said they've learned Braille about four times because they kept forgetting it. And so a good way of remembering it is to have a book on hand, which is what I did in my adjustment to blindness training, and having a book that you want to read, not just an article that's boring, but a book that you want to read and and keep up with and, and take out each night and read a little bit. That way, sometimes you can get to know the Braille signs just by the context of the sentence like almost guessing, things like that. But the BRF file is good to have for those of us who have the electronic Braille equipment because then you can just download it on that equipment and then you have it on that device. And that way you're not lugging around or waiting for things for weeks. You can have it right on hand right away instantly. Yeah, it's really important. So there's that option. And then a Braille transcriptionist not only can be in charge of getting blind students their textbooks, but they can be in charge of pretty much producing any type of thing in Braille, like Braille music or Braille math. 
or lots of times teachers will have embossers in the school and we would just send them the file after it's translated of, let's say, a test that they're giving next week that they send the file electronically in a Word format to the Braille transcriptionist. We translate it, clean it up, proofread it, send it back to them, and then they can print it out on their embosser. And we can do this with worksheets, with tests, with uh, different things, any type of assignment that the teacher would rather have for their Braille student in, in Braille, which is pretty remarkable. But also, we could be in charge of producing things in Braille format for the community, like going back to the menus. Say, in, in Braille transcription is a type of certification. So there's a lot that's involved in it as far as learning things, proofreading. Basically, I would compare it with learning basically the English language and the rules with that. But this is a lot more in-depth and a lot more precise and picky because it has to be. And then there's the proofreaders that once they're certified in transcribing Braille, not only could they transcribe it, but they could proofread what transcribers have produced and make sure it's correct and ready to send out to make copies for the student. So there's a lot of work involved and you can get your certification through the National Library Service. They have classes that I have put on pause at the moment for various reasons of getting equipment and just a few other things, but they're really picky when it comes to the amount of errors that you can have, which is understandable. But getting back to my main point, as far as the menus are concerned, I could go to a local restaurant and let's say I know that there's a lot of blind people in the community and I could offer them my services for a fee to make their menus be in Braille. They would give me one of their menus. I would scan it. I would use all my translation skills and clean it up and transcribe it in Braille and print it out on the embosser and bind it up and make it look all nice. And then that way they would have a more current menu. And those of us who would go there could have that menu that lists the drinks and lists the specials and that's not from 1999 but maybe a little closer to 2018. And that would just make it easier to be able to order what you want instead of like oh we don't have that item anymore. Would have been nice to know. (laughs) Don't prisoners also learn about like braille transcription? Yes you're right. There's actually programs for prisoners to learn Braille transcription and get certified while they're in prison um, just to gain some skills while they're there and give them something besides, you know, making license plates or whatever the case may be that they have available to them behind bars. And that way the prisoners are able to gain that skill and they're able to help produce those materials at the same time for no fee. So a lot of people who need 
transcribing services go through that way that way there's not a fee or they're not really charged because it's all volunteer based but that doesn't mean that the prisoners aren't getting the same certification they have to go through the same process and things like that but there needs to be at least a proofreader to oversee their work and make sure what they're producing is correct and to certification standards. And there is a large need for proofreaders and Braille transcribers, given what I've everything that I've mentioned. Even if there's only one or two blind students in a school district, that doesn't mean those one or two blind students are less important because they're in the minority. They still need these services and so there will always be a need for being certified in Braille transcribing and or proofreading. Do you want to talk about the Braille literacy rate? What's the rate for Braille literacy? Only 10% of blind people read Braille and are successful. So 90% of the blind who do not read Braille are less successful in finding work or gaining employment. Yeah, and that debt... Maybe... No, go ahead. Maybe we should just not do that, because... No, no, it should be there. Yeah, and that explains why there is a lot of... And that explains why there's unemployment. Like, unemployment is a... And that explains why unemployment is a huge issue, not only for the blind community, but for the disability community in general. Like, and it's not just limited to Braille, it's limited to other things as well. Yeah, definitely, because if you're a Braille reader, you can get by with doing things so much easier. There's a lot of blind people who get by with just large print or magnifiers or bright lighting, different things that they were forced to do in school because they were told that their vision wouldn't get worse and that if you can read large print, then we're going to give you large print. So most of the blind did not learn Braille because they were told, for one, they didn't need to, and for two, that they could get by with the sight they had so there there was no need but actually lots of blindness related conditions do get worse over time and so like for instance for me I grew up with large print I could read regular sized print I looked closely at things but I was never taught braille because they said that that would be my sight always and that it won't get worse over time but lo and behold I had different surgeries and come to find out I I have to learn it as an adult and it's harder to learn as an adult and now I'm struggling to remember the signs you know as I'm as I'm learning the braille and it would have been nice to have it be a necessity as far as schooling is concerned right Right. and that that leads that leads to the topic and not just the topic but the I don't want to say opinion but the idea that students with residual vision meaning students with some vision should be taught braille because you never know they could use it later on in life that could be another medium instead of large print and audio that they can rely on because you're not always going to have audio and you need to be able to read on your own anything you want to add to that Not really, no. Well, thank you for joining us on today's episode. This episode was produced by the both of us. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play.
You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash this is what blind looks like podcast or Twitter at blind looks like. Feel free to email us at this is what blind looks like pod at gmail.com or tweet us with any questions that you may have about blindness and we will definitely answer them. I'd like to add that on Facebook, we regularly have updates on our progress and like to engage with our community and frequently ask your opinions or ask if you have questions and even have polls that you can join us in participating in. So don't forget to like us and subscribe to us on the different platforms that we are a part of just for you. So stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to end with a cute little song called Brailing Signs is Cool to Do, written by Robert Kingett, and I've gotten his permission to use it. It's set to the tune of Breaking Up is Hard to Do by Neil Sedaka. Thank you to Sean Hosbury for putting up the song on YouTube and for connecting me with Robert. And thank you, Robert, for allowing us to use your song. Hope you guys enjoy it. Here's Sean. A lot of people sighted and or blind have asked me do I use braille although admittedly I usually only use it when there's an app coming out that has to do with the braille interface or when I really have to go to the bathroom and I'm drinking too much the people who use braille know what I'm talking about anyway I wanted to give you the starter definition of how braille works basically imagine an egg crate cut in half you have six spaces, one, two, three down, one, two, three down, on the left and the right. But a braille cell is one, two, three, four, five, six. An ellipsis would be dot, dot, dot. One, two, three, four, five, six. Dot, dot, dot. One, two, three, four, five, six. It's almost rhythmic, isn't it? Dot, dot, dot. One, two, three, four, five, six. Left, right, dot, dot, dot. One, two, three, four, five, six. Left, right, dot, dot, dot. One, two, three, four, five, six. Braille and signs is cool to do. I need to find room 109. But this building has no Braille signs. We should give these folks a clue that Braille and signs is cool to do. Here's a machine. What does it sell? Braille here so I can't tell We want signs we can read too So Braille and signs is cool to do You know it's up to us to spread the news Cause no one wants the no Braille blues Don't say that it costs too much When we can read the signs we need in Braille with just a simple touch The elevator stopped but on which floor now i need to find the restroom door spread the word you know it's true that braille and signs is cool to do you know it's up to us to spread the news because no one wants the no braille blues don't say that it costs too much when we can read the signs we need in braille with just a simple touch ATMs are made for me and you So why's the braille one in the bank's drive through 
two, three, four, five, six.